We are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world, and it's our job to develop these gifts. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. So today we're going to talk about grammatical morphemes and three-year-olds. And we're going to talk about whether or not you should assess grammatical morphemes when you're working with three-year-olds. I am going to give you three reasons why I think you should not assess grammatical morphemes with three-year-olds. Before we dive into research, I just wanted to tell you about my own clinical experience. And I don't know if you're like me and have had the same experience that I have. But what I found is that there's a lot of variability with three-year-olds. I've had children with exceptional language skills that have a lot of morphological errors in their expression. There's a lot of variability at age three, and the research supports it as well. I don't know if your clinical expertise is similar to mine, but I find children that, for instance, are coming back from Thanksgiving that can tell me a well-developed sequential story at age three of what they did last week at Disney World and visiting Poppy and Nana and going to the beach and the aquarium. And they're saying, me do it. And there are morphological errors all over the place. And I'm not at all concerned. The reason I'm not concerned about the morphological errors is because the research we're going to talk about in a moment, but also because I've met so many of these children that have strong pragmatics, strong vocabulary, strong syntax. And am I at all concerned that they're making morphological errors here and there? No. I found that these children tend to develop into the elementary age as having exceptional language skills. Let's get started into the three reasons why you should not evaluate grammatical morphemes at age three. The first reason is we don't have normative data. So we always talk about Brown's and grammatical morphemes and age equivalents. That is based on three typically developing children, only three. And since then, we've had some small end studies. There's Leahy's in 1992. There's John Miller in 1981 that looked at handfuls of children in each of the MLU categories. So we have very little normative data, which means we don't know what's normal and what's abnormal. We don't have the data for that. So that's reason number one, is that we lack the normative data to know what's 
normal. We can't base it on three children that were studied who are typical from 1973. Second reason why I think we should not use grammatical morphemes to assess language development. And the reason for that is Margaret Leahy in her research in 1992 found that three-year-olds had, as I found, great variability in their morphine production. So even though Margaret Leahy only studied about 11 children in the age three group, she found great variability with those children that were three years of age. Now we're going to go into reason three. Reason three why you should not assess three-year-olds based on grammatical morphemes is we don't have a reliable assessment for it. So the tests that we do have, the standardized assessment on the market, is the SPELT P2 currently. Now, I just completed research with the SPELT P2 on only nine children. So this is a very small study. And it was an N of one study in which these nine three-year-olds, they were all three, they had three different expressive language measures that each of them took. So it's called an N of one study. Same child takes three different tests and you mix up the order. So you control from the order effects. It's a really stringent way of studying a test because you have a perfect control. It's the child against the same child. It's better than an identical twin because they have the same history as well as the same genetic makeup. So what did we find? We found that 88% of the children this is very important, a whopping 88%, eight out of nine of the children had typically developing scores on the other language assessments and had significantly delayed or delayed scores on the spelt P2. So we're talking 88% of the children had false positives in which they were falsely identified if we did use this test as having a language impairment when they in fact did not have a language impairment. So based on that, in research from 1999, in which Ida Stockman and John Miller and colleagues at University of Wisconsin looked at 33-year-olds on the spelt original assessment, they found 83% of the children had a standard deviation in half or more worse than the mean. So they failed the spelt P2. However, they did not have a language impairment when they did the full language assessment. So they had 83% false positives. This is a problem. This would be okay in upside down world where 80% of the time you want to test that's going to be incorrect. But as a standard, we look at 80% of the time we want the test to be accurate. So this test really is falling short of being a reliable assessment for three-year-olds. And I know that my research was only nine children that I assessed. However, it was statistically significant and a large effect size. The differences between assessments, between the PLS-5 expressive language, which is a battery looking at many areas of expressive language, and the EVT-3, which is vocabulary, those scores were dramatically different. We had a very, very large effect size and a statistical probability. So that's another reason why we don't have a reliable test for it. So when we're looking at these three reasons, you really see that it's just not reliable to look at grammatical morphemes with three-year-olds. But what happened with the spelt? 
why are their numbers so off? Why are their standard scores so much lower than other tests? What I think may have something to do with it, and I don't know, this may have something to do with it. I read in the examiner's manual that the speech pathologists recruited from their own caseloads to pilot this test on. Now, the spelt P2 is like a picture vocabulary test in that it's 40 pictures. You go through all of them. You don't sealing out with the three-year-olds. You don't stop when you get six or eight incorrect. You go through all of the pictures. And the way the three-year-olds respond to this test is they label what is in the picture. But the problem is this is a grammatical morphine test. So what they would say in a grammatical morphine test, for instance, is they are eating. Yesterday, they and the child, the three-year-old child is naturally saying cookies. So they're not playing the verbal jigsaw puzzle with you when we're giving this test. So we were giving this test with three-year-olds. We basically would get one answer correct, maybe the first one, which was a plural S. And then the next 39 answers, they were just telling us what they see in the picture. And we were giving them these verbal puzzles to complete. And uh, that really wasn't happening. So I'm wondering that if this is because participants that are selected instead of randomly assigned from the population, that being a speech pathologist, you would select a child to go through these 40 items. The reason I think that these scores are so inflated is possibly because the three-year-olds that were selected, there's 388 that this test was normed on, were selected by SLPs to pilot the test. And perhaps inadvertently, the SLP selected a child with stronger attentional skills, with stronger language skills, maybe stronger language skills to complete this test because it is a verbal jigsaw puzzle. And most three-year-olds just want to tell you what's on the page. So that could have had something to do with why these scores are so negatively skewed is that the reference group had higher language skills. So taking all of these reasons into consideration, one, we don't have normative data to compare these children to when it comes to grammatical morphemes. Two, great deal of variability with three-year-olds, less so with four and five-year-olds. With four and five-year-olds, we can begin looking at those grammatical more. But at age three, there's too much variability. And the third reason is we don't have a test or reliable assessment to give these children. Because as I mentioned before, when we looked at the test in 1999, the original version of this belt, 83% of the three-year-olds that had scored a standard deviation and a half or more below the norm, these children did not qualify by language services. They, When they fully tested them, they felt that they didn't have a language impairment. And in my case, eight out of the nine children, 88% of the children that we tested did not have a language impairment, but yet they did qualify with a false positive as having a language impairment using the spelled P2. So I want you to take all of this information, roll up your sleeves, and make the world a better place, one child at a time. So in summary, for these three reasons, one, we don't have normative data to actually compare children to see what is normal and what is abnormal when it comes to grammatical morphemes for three-year-olds. Two, 
Three-year-olds have great variability. This is less of the case at age four and five. And at that time, you can look at the grammatical morphemes as an early indicator of a language impairment, but not at age three. And the third reason why is we don't have a reliable test to measure grammatical morphemes. So as I mentioned earlier in 1999, when the original spelt was tested on three-year-olds, they found 83% false positive. And once again, today, when myself and my graduate students looked at the spelt P2, we found the false positive over 80% of the time as well. So that is not what we're looking for in a standardized assessment. We're looking for it being accurate 80% of the time, not inaccurate 80% of the time. So we need to take all this information, roll up your sleeves, make the world a better place, one child at a time, and you are always first.